0: Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. In light of COVID-19, our regularly scheduled 9 and 11 a.m. Sunday services are currently suspended. During this time, we will live stream our 11 a.m. Sunday morning service and plan to offer other online connection points throughout the week. You can find us on Facebook or visit www rockpoint.org for more information, including important schedule updates.
1: Um, before we get into the message here today, uh, Mickey just has something specific that we've designed for, you have been working on. It's still kind of probably at a little bit in the beta stage, but uh, explain what we've got here. Yeah.
0: Well, we've had some great discipleship things going on with uh, daily journey devotional videos, family life videos, and stuff like we heard about last week. And what we wanted to do, uh, after service, we've always had prayer as a central component of what we do here and people have been able to come forward and pray. Obviously, that's a little bit more complicated to do right now. But what we've done is we've got an approach to do this using Zoom. I'm sure everybody knows that name at this point. Um, But we have uh, some information that's going to come up at the end of service, uh, a Zoom conference ID and password, that if you use that after the service is done, we've got a prayer team ready. Uh, There's there's it right now up on your screen. Um, A prayer team is going to be there ready to meet with you. And if you dial in... Might work out a few wrinkles, so give us a few minutes while we connect with you, get a few questions answered, and we'll get you situated. And then that that will enter you into a one-on-one video chat room with a prayer person, so you can call in individually. They can call in um, with your uh, as a couple. You can call in with a family if you want to, with your family, and connect with this prayer person. And they'll be there to meet with you. Okay. And so um, just check out that information, write it down now, or grab it at the end of service. And we hope to see you there. You know, it's amazing how we've been seeing that uh, the number of Uh, Google searches for prayer has been doubling like almost every few days. And so we know that prayer is so central. We want to be there for you with that.
1: I wish I had invested in Zoom before all this happened. I think it's gone up by 2,000%. So, Mickey, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. This morning, I want to talk to you in the little bit of time that we have about transactional faith. And I'm going to try to squeeze what is a very significant concept into um, the, the lens of the camera and to where you are at presently. There's a um, time period there was a coach named Pepper Rogers that was really well known in years past. And he had gone to UCLA for a couple of years' time. And in the first year, he got beaten up pretty bad. They they made his life pretty miserable because the team hadn't been doing too well. They got off to a really bad start. Um, And so nobody in Southern California would even hang out with him. And he said one time, quote, my dog was my only true friend, uh, he said of that year. And he goes on and said, I told my wife that every man needs at least two good friends. She bought me another dog, he said. Um, he goes on, though, in the face of the adversity had and uh, to employ a new style of offense. It was called the wishbone offense. It was uh, revolutionary for its time period and was incredibly effective, but it takes a while to adjust and to learn to it. In fact, Mark Harmon, who uh, plays a character on NCIS... Uh, on television, was actually his quarterback in the second year that he employed this um, t- that actually came to really great effect, and they won some great victories. But um, he was very consistent, Rogers, in making sure that this wishbone offense got pressed through, even though it was difficult to get uh, a hold of. And he said this about it. He said, the wishbone, he said, is like Christianity. If you believe in it, only until something goes wrong, you didn't believe in it in the first place. If you believe in it only until something goes wrong, you didn't believe in it in the first place. I want to talk to you about transactional faith with a question mark on it. See, in the pagan world, um, transactional faith was pretty much what operated. If your God doesn't give you the victory, then you quit. You walk away from that God. It was purely transactional. There was no desire to be transformed or to have knowledge or understanding of the deity. It was strictly what he could do for you. The term transactional is defined as relating to the conducting of business, especially buying or selling, relating to exchange or interaction between people. A transactional relationship, um, those relationships are by nature optimized around getting the most you possibly can in exchange for as little as possible on your part that you get the most that you can for as little as possible on your part they're all about you all about what you can get and not about what you can give and we often set up a lot of our relationships as a transaction you do this for me i do that for you if you don't do this for me i won't do that for you There is really no honor. There is no loyalty. There is no character in transactional relationships. In the ancient world, this was the only one that was really known. If your God didn't serve you, didn't do what you wanted, then you got rid of him. If you were conquered in the battle, then you rejected your God and you embraced the gods of of your conquerors. Um, This was expected, uh, especially when the Babylonians took out the Israelites. And people like Daniel and the three Hebrew boys that you read about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all get renamed with names that relate to the God who had conquered Israel, allegedly. And we go to their victory... And how these three Hebrew boys and Daniel still stood for their God, even though um, he had not given them the victory in their certain circumstance. And we saw, you know, miraculous things as you look in the Scripture and and the way that God moved powerfully in that moment. But we forget that it began with a defeat. That, in fact, each of these children of Israel, if you will, um, were first the subject of a defeat. Israel had lost Uh, their planned future had been radically altered. They'd been ripped from their home and physically relocated to the land of their conquerors. And of course, they'd been given names of the gods after the gods of those conquerors. It was expected again, the transaction they had lost on. Their, Their god had not kept at that side. So why would you still serve a god in the mind of the pagan who did not deliver? Why would you do that? The same thing could be said today in our struggles. The difference with those young men is they had a relationship, a knowledge, a character of God and an understanding of him that was not just a reflection of their self like the pagan gods, but was really rooted in who he actually was. They were engaged not in a transactional relationship without honor, loyalty, or character, but were in fact engaged in a transformational relationship with their god it was a very very different type of relationship with very different expectations and outcomes that were not based upon what they could feel sense or their even specific needs there's a song that i want to have sung for you and it's a song that we've sung before but i'm not sure it's been fully ever understood and especially in this time period more than ever I want to have you understand this, and I want to take this apart for you. Um, It's the type of song that, if you really look at the words and the lyrics, can terrify you about singing it. It's a song that can only be sung by those who understand the character and nature of their God and who are engaged in a transformational relationship and not a transactional faith. The words go like this, I come, God, I come, I return to the Lord the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You strike down to bind me up. You say you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering. Let's just take that part, first of all, because it's actually drawn directly from Scripture. It's drawn from the prophet Hosea. And this prophet has been writing to Israel and preaching to Israel at what was politically and socially a very chaotic time. And the people had walked away from God. They'd, they'd fallen into different patterns and pursuits. They'd become wealthy and, and rejecting those things. And so Hosea was calling them to come back to God. And God, through Hosea and through a number of situations I won't go into right now, were trying to show how much he loved, how much he cared for them, and how much he wanted this relationship. And so he had challenged them in different ways. And so Hosea writes in chapter 6, he says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he'll bind us up. Let's just stay on that for just a, a brief second of time. You know, what is this about a God who, who tears at us or who strikes us in some fashion? Any of us who are parents, including that parent that was in the uh, um, video you just saw perhaps, knows the importance of discipline knows the importance of challenging uh, their child. And that can require some intense discipline at times. The child doesn't understand that always at the time, or even when they do understand it and they want their own way, they're left with a choice. Will they go their own way or will they shatter the relationship with uh, their father or mother? In the raising up of my two sons, we've come close on several occasions to a breach of the relationship as they wanted to go their own way. And I had certain guidelines that we were following here. And to this date, they have come up to that point and always said, no, we don't want to breach the relationship. They may not agree or they may not even understand fully, but they didn't want to breach the relationship. So they stepped back from that. In Israel's case, though, they had chosen to breach the relationship. They had gone their own way that was going to ultimately lead to their own destruction and damage that would have utterly destroyed them, not just physically, but spiritually. And so God has, has done certain things to strike and to um, tear, it says in this passage. But it goes on to say, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. It goes on to say, after two days, he'll revive us. And on the third day, he'll raise us up that we may live in his sight. There's an, uh, an, an allusion to the resurrection of Christ. That sitting here, and this is why the song is saying that that you say you do it all in love that I might know you in your suffering, that that there's some awareness that, that we don't just suffer in vain, that there's a purpose behind it. In the same way that Christ understood isolation and loneliness and suffering in the garden there and then going through the crucifixion, but there was something that came out of that suffering. It was not for nothing. No suffering is. It always shapes us and, and defines us in many ways. The passage goes on in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, and um, it talks about a, a let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. One of the questions I would have for you is whether you literally pursue the knowledge of God. A lot of us, when we were in dating times, or if you pursued a, a, a lover at any time, then you know that you want to know everything about them. There is no detail too small. And, and your mind is constantly caught up with wanting to understand more and or, or, or going over what you already know of them. Do we have this type of relationship with our God? Let us know. Let us know pursue. It's not just a passive, it's a very active, let us pursue the knowledge of God. Hosea chapter 4 earlier in verse 6 says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That our lack of understanding of who God is of knowing who he is. And when we're transactional, we don't care. We just care if he's going to do what we need him to do. If he's just going to bail us out or make us feel better. And there's all sorts of Christians out there, definitions that you could have. There are cultural Christians. We're Christians strictly because that's how we were born and raised. We're we're political Christians. They're more common today Are the, what I refer to as the lover boy Christian. He is our best friend and our lover and he treats me so right all the time and he's so passionate and so sweet and if at any point in time he stops being passionate or sweet or loving me and affirming me, then I'll break up with him. Just like I would any other relationship that doesn't give me what I need. Those are all transactional relationships. This church has been different in that. One of the things, and we've not discussed, next week we'll go briefly on on how we handle our finances. But if you've been following this at all, you know that we haven't raised really that up uh, at all in our conversations. We don't make the plea of the week. We don't have a meltdown or anything else of that nature. And yet, people have been faithful, even in this season of time, whether it's been online giving, whether it's coming by and dropping off offerings at the door or in the mail. Why would people do that when they're not getting anything for it? There's no children's program that's necessarily lighting them up or youth program or even fellowship in a way. It's been strictly an issue of faithfulness because they are not transactional, but they're in a different kind of relationship. Hosea says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of God, that there's some type of thing of, of coming after him and understanding who he is. That It's not just simply what we get or what we want but that it's something much deeper that involves honor, loyalty, a change in our character. The song goes on, that I might know you in your suffering, and then it says, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. That is just a bizarre line to be tossed out. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who is all I need. This this singer is saying that relationship with Christ is so transformational, so essential, like living or breathing, that regardless of what it is, to be a part of that relationship is worth everything. But he's drawing these lines directly from Scripture. There was a man named Job, and you probably heard of this guy, He had everything at one point in time. Family, friends, wealth, everything was there, and then all of it was stripped away. And at first, while devastating, he handles it in Job chapter 1 verse 21. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there upon hearing the deaths of his children. And then this line, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, or the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away in the King James. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He still worships God. He goes through a series of events that are even more traumatic, more painful. Physical illness. There's a lot of things we can handle as long as we're feeling fit. But when illness comes upon us, it drains our strength. It, it takes out our resolve. It makes us question things. And so through all that happening and, and still in the 13th chapter of Job... He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I I see something in the nature of God in my understanding that I I at least have heard about him that that even if he slays me, I I will still trust him. This is not a transaction. In the NIV, it says, though he slay me, yet will I um, hope in him. Yet will I have hope that's found in him. And yet the the struggle has gone on and there's several other passages here that point out to that struggle for him. It was genuine. It's not a matter of just saying superstitious phrases over and over again or a mantra. This was related to a deep, genuine struggle that Job went through. For some of, of us, we've lost jobs in this season. Some of us have lost families. And friends. There's been a challenge like maybe we've never faced before. And Job was no different. At one point in time, in the 10th chapter of Job, he says, Are not my days almost over? Take away from me so I can have a moment of joy. And turn away from me. So there's a point of almost saying, God, I, I, I just just leave me alone. I don't want to be transformed. I don't want to be worked on. I don't want to see any change. It, it's just pretty much done, isn't it? In chapter 21 of Job, he, he, he questions this, who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? What are we gaining? He's, he's going through this struggle and this loss, and it's beyond now just the initial pain and the faith that su- stood, sustained him earlier. Now as he's delving deeply into this, he's, why, what should we gain by praying to him? The message translation says, why should we have dealings with God Almighty? What's there in it for us? What's in it for us? Job chapter 30, it gets even darker. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer me. I stand up, but you merely look at me. I stand up, but you merely look at me. We cry out to God, we engage him, and yet we feel a distance. We don't seem to find a relief And there are dark moments that all of us have or are or will go through where we question our faith. We question this God that we serve. It's not even a matter of transaction of what you'll do for us. It's it's, aren't you going to do anything for us? What is being worked through in these moments of time? C.S. Lewis made the statement one time. He said, I don't go to religion or Christianity to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that for me you want religion to make you feel really comfortable he said I certainly do not recommend Christianity. I certainly don't recommend it if you want it to be happy and, and that's what you're looking for to be comfortable. Another point in time though he says this look for yourself and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay but look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in If we drop back in despair and we release everything that we've seen or experienced and say, you know what? The atheists are right. There's nothing to this life. It's just short and brutal and ugly and I'm going to let go of this faith. Maybe I will even, as Job reaches a point, it seems to almost, of letting go of his life. If you go to London after all, the things are over with, and you can travel again. And you go to St. Paul's Cathedral. There might be a picture, if it's still up, that I saw there years ago. And it was taken during the Blitz when, when the Germans were just pounding, the Nazis were pounding Britain. They were devastating it. Bombs dropping, people dying, explosions and fire all the time, and, and smoke hung over the entire city of London. And this picture hangs in one of the naves there and as you look at the picture the dark smoke of the bombs filled most of this picture that's of the blitz. And right at the center of the picture there's a shaft of sunlight that pierces the smoke and, and it illuminates the dome of the cathedral that's in the picture. And then there is something of a of a picture that I want to present to you because in the midst of the smoke and the devastation and the fire and the loss that you're now experiencing or have or will at some point in your life experience, there's a statement in there with that shaft of light that pierces that darkness that says, hold on, hold on. That you have a God that still sees you, still knows you, still understands what you're dealing with, and though it may seem that you've been conquered, though it may seem that you're alone, that is not the reality, that is not the fullness of the truth. One of our family members of our church here, not my direct one, dealt seriously with the COVID illness. It to the point he was in the hospital for probably several weeks of time and um, it, was, it was painful for the entire family. It was difficult for him. I'll, I'll tell you the difficulty I had, as small as it was, it's the first time I've gone to a hospital to visit somebody and I couldn't enter the hospital. They wouldn't let me go in. Now normally I can play games and threaten and I can work my way in. But in this case I understood the wisdom of it and I had to release it. And I'll be honest, that was painful. To not be able to go in and minister to not just... Uh, one of our congregation, but my friend, we've served together and continue to. Now the good news is he, he came this close to being on a ventilator. He came off of this whole experience and has able, been able to go home. And his wife texted uh, Mickey recently and in one of the texts said there's no words to express the peace and comfort that's there and uh, uh, the importance of the prayers that were offered by the fellowship." But then said this, his wife in regards to his experience, said, in his last few mornings of the hospital, um, this friend of ours began to look out the window at the rising sun and repeat every day, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Now I know enough about this family to know that even if he had died in this process, that passage is something that she would have still asked to be read even at his funeral. Now it turned to a a good thing, but what happens when it doesn't? In Job's case he had lost everything. It was real, it wasn't just an exercise, family, standing, everything. We see how he presses on God and then God at one point in time responds to him. He doesn't ignore. He actually engages. He gives him the honor of his presence and they begin a dialogue. None of the pagans God's ever engaged in a dialogue. They didn't exist. There was no way to understand their character other than a reflection of man's own desires and twisted thoughts. But God engages him. And honors and respects him in this way. And Job comes to an understanding of his circumstance. So that in the 42nd chapter he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. In other words, I had a, a knowledge or an understanding, but I have now experienced you. And he repents. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. In this season of time, many of you have even had a knowledge of God but you are now in this season able to experience him if you truly move in faith and not just as a transaction but realize that god's trying to shape you and define you even in the losses that you're experiencing even in the pain that you're experiencing that you might be able to say when this is done that i had heard of you god but now i have seen you in job in the 42nd chapter, it reaches the point where it said the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Not all of us see that blessing that Job had. For some of us, it's not as bright an ending. Will we still have faith? Do we still believe? Do we still trust in these times? It really depends on your relationship to God, if it's a transformational, covenantal relationship or if it's strictly a transaction. If it's a transaction, then there's nothing to it. Years ago, I had a, a good friend who was in this congregation. He was a surgeon. He was a doctor. Not a surgeon. He was a doctor, a medical doctor. dealt with cancer patients tall, good-looking, sharp guy, Um, highly educated, very respected within the medical community, Uh, um, worked with cancer patients for a number of years. He had um, come to Christ later in his life, and he would led a pretty wild life before that, pretty arrogant life. Uh, he operated in pretty imperious, demanding terms and was very self-centered and and selfish in what he did. But then he came to Christ. Something broke in his heart and he had an understanding of who God was and it radically transformed him. He was wealthy enough. He'd already gained what he needed. In many ways, there was no transaction that made him better looking or wealthier or better educated, but it transformed him as he came into an encounter with Christ and and he changed in how he felt operated. And for years, I watched him and his growth and his faith develop until finally at one point in time, he came to see me with his wife and told me how he had now been diagnosed with cancer, a particularly malignant type. Now, his life was extended for a period of several years, but eventually it claimed him. And when I went to see him on those different occasions, especially on that last occasion... I did not find him bitter. I did not find him ugly. I did not find him harsh. What he said to me is, I'm at peace before God. I trust him and I have my faith in him and I've never turned from that. And then he said to me, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. do we have this kind of faith or is it just transactional? Do we give of ourselves to others only to get back or do we give to others because of the great grace that He's already given us? If I were to put this up as a graphic, I would have had transactional faith with a question mark, and I would have crossed out at this point in time for you the transactional, and I would have crossed out the question mark, and I would have taken the faith part and expanded that word until it fills the screen. And so I ask you today what kind of relationship you have with God? What is your understanding, your knowledge of Him? In a moment's time, I'm going to have this song sung. It goes on to say, My heart and flesh may fail, the earth below give way, but with my eyes, with my eyes, I'll see the Lord. Lifted high on that day, behold, the Lamb that was slain, and I'll know every tear was worth it all. There's a parallel to be found with the narrative of seasons and days, the constant unpredictability of this life, and the unchanging, unfailing nature of God and his faithfulness. And singing his praises, especially in the dark times, unlocks something in us. In this journey, the song that we're about to sing serves as a constant, honest confession within us as the environment and everything else changes, that there's something about the unchangingness of God as we come to know him. That even in our defeats, we are not defeated. That even though we're confused, that we're never lost, as the scripture says. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 4 say, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through Him. Through whom we've now gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That we stand despite everything else. We don't have to attack, but to stand, to be faithful, to be loyal. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Unlike everyone else. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, that pressing through, produces character. We are not in a transactional relationship with our God. We are in a transformational relationship with God. And as we know more of Him, we are changed. This suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So this morning, as this song is sung, I challenge you, what kind of relationship do you have with your God? Do you trust in God? Do you have a faith or is it qualified? If it's a true faith, then never, ever, 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 never, ever, at no time do you need to ever give up. You stand. One person wrote something that to me applies well to this song. This song is not exactly the new traditional happy, clappy, Sunday morning sense. No, this is the kind written to sound its loudest in the cold, lonely silence of the darkest night or the heart-drenched desperation of the heaviest of tears. It's a song that finds its voice in the moments and seasons where to all common sense and logic, to sing and to be thankful for anything at all, let alone sing a song of praise to God, makes no sense at all. When the fight seems lost, And all strength gone with it when it's hard to even find the words louder than louder than this is that kind of song look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred loneliness despair rage ruin and decay Look for Christ and you will find him and with him, everything else thrown in. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, no question mark, we have peace with God and through all other situations, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by this faith into this grace in which we now stand. We boast, not in ourselves, but in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also, we glory actually in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, a hope that does not disappoint Nothing that you are experiencing, nothing you have or are going to walk through is ever wasted. It is all working to transform us into the image of our God, into changing who we are. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Do not lose faith. But be transformed by these moments. Thank you for being with us this morning. We'll be back next Sunday. And sometime soon, hopefully, we'll gather in the flesh. There'll be, after we finish here, um, the Zoom prayer that Mickey mentioned will be available if you want to contact someone and have prayer. Otherwise, realize this. As a church, we have never closed. We are not convening on site, but we're still convening, and we're still open. So, Father God, I pray as brothers and sisters are processing their faith, the question marks would be removed and the transactional aspect would be tossed out. And instead, we would embrace a transformational relationship in faith in Jesus Christ. Let your Holy Spirit enliven your word to our hearts. And for all the parents who are having to homeschool right now, give them grace, God, and patience. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.